This is the audio podcast. It is episode 99, not quite a century. I'm Scott here. As always, I'm joined by the one and only... Samuel Freeman. Hello, that's me. I'm here this week with Scott Hewitt, but no Adam Yance this week. It's just the two of us of show 99. So if Adam were here, he would undoubtedly tell us where the notes are and stuff like that, which is theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 99. Not quite a century. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Um, If you... If you want to get in contact with us, you can get in contact with us um, at the show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk, on Twitter at the audio podcast, and we also have Google Plus and Facebook as well, which is great. But if you want to subscribe to the show, Sam, get it as soon as it's released. Where could you go to do that? Well, theaudiopodcast.co.uk is the one place, or is it podcast.theaudiopodcast.co.uk? Are those yeah. the two kind of bits of the site? Either way, there is subscribe links or buttons or things around, and do it via iTunes or RSS, things of any kind. And YouTube, you can subscribe to this video on, you- the video <gasps> on YouTube as well if you want to. PR on YouTube, I often forget about that little camera that's looking at us while we do this. Hello, camera. Hello, YouTube. <laughs> So let's, uh, shall we head into the news then, Sam? Yes, let's do it. So um, we're, there's lots of headphone jokes, I think, going to be... Last week we had headphone jokes. This week there's going to be headphone jokes. There's going to be more headphone jokes. Let's try and <laughs> stay clear of the headphone jokes momentarily. Um, Beats, who uh, you will know from the headphones, <laughs> Beats headphones, have announced Beats Music, which is a, a curated music experience that aims to resolve the two most important questions. What should I listen to? And what song comes next? So it's essentially a streaming service to um, to mobile devices, iOS, Android, Windows phones, um, such as you know Spotify, uh, a kind of Spotify-like service. But I thought it was interesting because they're pitching this idea of the curation being the important part of it. So they've um, they're, they're they're pitching this entire idea that they have a, a team who are cu- curating the playlists. So when you choose to play a track, if you haven't choose something else, it automatically plays another track for you, and the choice of track is be, is curated by a by a team of people who are kind of respected within the industry, kind of that kind of thing. So curated by humans rather than algorithms. It's, it's the pitch they're making. Yeah, it's um, nine ninety nine a month, and you get a month for free. Uh, there is a website streaming service that will start January twenty first as well, and it's only available in the US. In the US. That's similar sort of pricing to Spotify and stuff though, isn't it? So let's see. Let's see. Do you think yeah. it's a, a neat well, thing? My my initial reaction to this was you know, is there really space in the market for another one of these? Um but then they have this unique angle or that they're going for. And perhaps they have, you know, maybe there's people who really love their headphones that are I already have like the brand trust thing there. Maybe, maybe that will create a market. Who knows? It, 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 I guess the brand trust thing is important, isn't it? Ooh, I'm echoing back. Am I coming for you, Sam? I think I might be. Um, I'm not sure though. Maybe. I can tell. Just, just, just try and mute me, Sam, as I'm speaking, and see if that. Uh, I'll let you know if that kills me if you do that for a minute. I think what's interesting about this though is the fact that. Beats have this great kind of marketing kind of thing going, but they've also got lots of opportunities to sell it. Like you could easily imagine the idea that you're going to get some sort of thing in the box, which is a free trial for them. You know what I mean? It's like here, why not get a free trial with us? 
as part of your your headset purchase. So you you get your headphones. There's a free trial included inside the headphones. You know, and I can see that being very captive, and those kind of people going for that that sort of thing like that as well. And I guess if you if you're buying a pair of Beats headphones, you're buying a brand essentially. You're buying into the brand. You're buying into what the brand means, and by extension, you're probably very interested in this idea of this curated service. It's, I think it's an interesting kind of thing. What's what 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 are your thoughts on that? Do you is it for you this kind of thing? Um, I don't think it is for me this kind of thing. I don't even subscribe to Spotify anymore. I'm, all, I'm kind of awful of these things, and much more in favour of um, the of radio music and curation. I like I do like curated music, especially human curated music. I'm really well, and I mentioned algorithm creation earlier. I'm interested in that conceptually. I like the idea of algorithms that can put together playlists and whatnot. But actually, I like it when people do that, I like DJs, and I like it when people put together compilations, whether it's in real time or not. And so, yeah, um, Mixcloud.com is my current main source of listening to music. I like to listen to music I've not heard before. And, yeah, that's where I go to do that. Yeah, that's so. I guess that's very true. I'm saying I listen to two kind of main. I, I listen to two music podcasts: uh, Rat Hole Radio and Music That Matters. And I guess a lot of the reason why I listen to them is out of, you know, like I appreciate the kind of curational aspects of people who are actually doing it, who are making the, you know, who who are, who are making the selections and linking the tracks together. And I guess that is something I really like because I I don't know about a lot of other people, but something that really frustrates me is when you have to like. You know, if you're doing something, then the music stops, and you have to decide what you want to have again, and it's what mm -hmm. you want to have next. And you know, I suspect, like a lot of our listeners, you know, the the issue for me is the just sheer overwhelming nature of how much music I have. You know, I have days and days and days of music inside and inside iTunes, so it's almost impossible to choose what to start. And you know, I know, I know, that's like, you know, it's like a, it's a real first world problem there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but some people are good, like. Some people are good at choosing what music to put on next, like depending on the mood and the context and situation. I, I am not one of those people. I can't stand. I hate it when it's my turn to choose the music. I really, I, I generally, if I have to pick what to put on next, I'll choose something that's about an hour long so that it doesn't come round to it again too often. I don't like it when the music stops either. That's like, you know, if if somebody is in control of the music being played, then the music should keep playing. Yeah. At least the silence in between. So. Yeah. Well, there, there we go. Anyway, if you're if you're interested, go check it out. Um, and we did really well without making any kind of wisecracks about uh, headphones. There. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, so that's enough of consumption of music. What about the creation of music? Perhaps you're interested in getting some new software, and you've been thinking about Ableton Live software. Maybe I don't know. If you are, now's a good time for the next few days. Twenty percent off on all Ableton software. So the live bundles are available. Um, I, I teach live. It's great fun. That's that's actually what I say to people. Live is actually a lot of fun. It's it's a lot of fun to work with. What you can get out of it is kind of fun, and it just and if you're into if if you're into kind of the merging between kind of production and performance work, and th that kind of thing interests you, then live is somewhere that's definitely worth definitely something that's worth taking a look because mm -hmm. the things it doesn't do very well, it, it the things it doesn't do well are because it's so focused on that kind of like kind of live performance kind of feel and that makes it a pleasure and a joy just to just to do stuff with. It's really it's really a lot of fun just for that kind of thing. So I can definitely recommend it. Um, likewise, uh, perhaps though you already own some software and you're wondering about updates, in which case uh, Pro Tools 11.1.1 has been released um, by Avid. Uh, runs on OS X 10.9, 10.8.5, Windows 8 and Windows 7. 
And apparently, I, you know that I like to look through the uh, release notes to find <laughs> ridiculous improvements. So um, the uh, a highlight fix was that the um, it now successfully imports AAF files from Steinberg Nuendo. Do you mean AIFF? I'm not sure. Maybe that that will that, that line almost certainly came straight out of the press, straight straight out of yeah, the, yeah. The, the notes. But yeah, maybe we can check. Confused. No. Let's just move on. Okay, update. Well, I, mean, I, I, I don't know that I did okay. like to before I mentioned though is just to uh, just make you aware that the uh, the outstanding issue that you still cannot install uh, you still cannot install Pro Tools 11.1.x alongside Pro Tools 10.x on OS X 10.9. So I, I know that's actually um a, you know like. <sighs> There are quite a few people who would quite like to be able to do that, and that's yeah. not something that's been done. So Pro Tools, Avid would like you to know that they have released a minor revision update which doesn't fix the main problem. <laughs> but, you because know, that's, that's to do with if you've got new... That's, that's the new system and the old system, the old system yeah. which has been around a long time. And, hmm. yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know... Yeah. Here's, a, here's a only vaguely related question then. Can you dual boot a Mac to have more than one operating system? Can is that is that possible? Could you could you have your machine running say ten point eight and ten point nine? Yeah, you could you can definitely dual boot dual boot the machines. It's not the kind of thing that Mac like to Apple like to encourage in any way whatsoever, but you can definitely <laughs> run multiple partitions. To do that though, you would obviously need um well Trying to think. I say that you could do that, and you probably can do, and you certainly can do. But I'm just thinking you might need to boot off an external drive, which could be a little bit sluggish unless it's a light, unless it's on the lightning, lightning port. Uh, so it's not really a viable solution to that. Well, if you had a Mac problem. Pro, perhaps, uh, perhaps you've just recently unboxed your new Mac Pro. But then your Blueface stuff isn't going to interface with that anyway. Well, yep, that's also true, Sam. <laughs> Have you seen any of the Mac Pro unboxings? Have you seen any of this? Because they obviously they they shipped. Um, if you placed an order right on release day, then you would have got it in the middle towards the end. Of, you know, you'll 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 be receiving it nowish or in the last week or so it will have appeared. No, are they entertaining? Should I should I be looking into this? Well, you should. You know, you know. It, do you realize how small it is? Like it's about the size of a shoe. Like that's how tall off the ground it is. It's about shoe size. That's pretty. Pretty incredible. I, I think there's um at, at somewhere I work we're talking about ordering a set for, ordering a ordering a set in for the production studios and quite, you know, we lots of jokes going around about how you're going to stop them being nicked. Essentially, is the main question at the moment. <laughs> you know, small enough and light enough to carry, so it's always nice. To say, you know. Yep, and everything will just unplug like this. Doop 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 doop. doop, doop. You probably yep. pull it and they all just fall out the back. Actually, if you pull it hard enough. Yep. I suspect we're going to end up with some massive metal cage that it sits inside of, maybe chained to the or like chained to the wall or something. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, we should move on. Uh, what? How did we get to that? Oh, from Pro Tools. That's right. From the Pro Tools story. Anyway, so Pro Tools release. Um, in defense, actually, you know, we were a bit, bit naughty to Avid there. In defense of Avid, obviously, you know, there is kind of fundamental hardware differences between the two kind of things. But the other thing is Avid are incredibly good at giving very accurate information about updates, aren't they? So that's the thing. Like, when you receive an update from other people, there's always a bit of a, I wonder what this is going to do, and you discover it fixes things that were broken, but nobody would ever realized were broken, and certainly nobody considered broken, and suddenly you have massive jobs of having to do things, whereas Avid are always really, really good at saying, this update does this, and this might be a problem for you in this respect. So, mm -hmm. like, 
before you install this, you want to check if this is going to, you know, if this is going to be a problem for you. So I think that's great. I'm saying it would be really nice if the or everybody else had the same kind of commitment to sort of professional version kind of version reporting in the way that Avid do, because I think it's really commendable to them. And I really like it. That's cool. Anyway, Sam, have you ever considered buying yourself an eye ring? This is um an <laughs> compose yourself. IK Multimedia have released the eye ring, not Apple. They um must have registered this name very early on, is my guess, and they've just been waiting to decide what to do with it. That's that's my appraisal of the name of the thing. But what is it? It's something that you wear on your hand. It does work with your iOS devices and does it work with all iOS devices or is it just the it's iPad or iPod? Yep, yeah, so your eye thing. Has to have yep. a camera on the front of it. That's... And is it using infrared or is it just optical tracking? Optical tracking. It's just optical tracking. So you hold this. So the software would probably work without this device then. I'm kind of skipping the thing here, but. Well, maybe yes. Not. Let, let, so let's jump back. Essentially, <laughs> what it is is a piece of plastic that you wear on your finger, and it has. You get two in a box, and they have distinct patterns on them. And then the like when I say distinct patterns, there's a, a collection of them. They're not there isn't an infinite number of distinct patterns. There is a collection of distinct patterns, and those patterns the the camera on the um, iOS device will track the movement, the X Y Z movement of your finger of of this kind of ring that's on your finger, and convert that into MIDI data, which can then be sent via core MIDI um, internally on the iOS device iOS device. Or it could, you can actually get iOS devices which will actually turn that into Wi-Fi which you could then push across a network onto, you know, and then have it again appear as MIDI on a network, you know, on the, on the other side of the network device. So, it's, yep. so, so you so could use it to control, you know, your actual kind of whatever you're running on a main, on a, on, on a laptop if you wanted to, as well as being on, actually just using it for an iPhone and such like this. Well, what were your thoughts? Did, did you like? Do you, do you, do you, is this kind of motion control something that you think is missing? Is it something that you would find useful, do you think? Or? I think it's an interesting addition to the collection of things that are able to do this. Um, the two distinct patterns you were talking about are actually on the same ring. You turn your hand over, so you've got on your, so when the camera's looking at your palm, as it were, it's got three dots side by side, and then you flip your hand over, and it's got three dots in a triangle, so that you've got Two, I suppose that gives you two discrete XYZ controllers just by which you can switch between by flipping your hand. That's kind of cool, but I'm desperately trying to remember the name of the USB device that plugs in. It was released sometime last year, which is a similar, which is a motion tracking thing, and I can't remember the name of it. It's really bugging oh, me. That's going to frustrate me as well. Because yeah. mo motion tracking has been around for, for a long time, and I guess it's a very obvious. Kind of simple solution to the to, to the issue isn't to, to to the issue of extended interface if if you're wanting to extend the interface a little bit further because it gives you that ability to it gives you the ability to get a kind of a continuous controller or some some external interface without actually having to carry anything bulky without having to plug anything in it's obviously entirely passively powered just using the shape detection and now that the mobile devices are so incredibly powerful they can cope with the software you can you know cope with the algorithmic side of actually tracking it. And yep. I thought to myself, I, I actually looked at this and thought it was a really neat idea, because I was thinking that you could imagine yourself in a, in a situation where you're interfacing with a piece of software and doing something with it, and you've got this kind of 
this kind of thing going on, but perhaps you want to just you want to adjust an element, and this is maybe I don't know the mix between two chan the mix between two channels or the mix between two different buses or something like that. Then I thought I could really see a usage case where I could just grab, get this, bring it on the camera, and just kind of do this to to like fade it out sort of style, and then you know to kind of fade in and fade out this sort of motion. And I thought to myself that would be that would be a great way of being able to interface with with it. So having some sort of important control ready to go and deployable when needed, but not actually having to move within the interface to go and find it or to move around it. I mean, I get that because then it gives you a significant amount of expression that's so avail that's available like that. And quite often, I find in in terms of performance with in, any kind of computer, actually, the issue is usually getting getting gesture which is controllable and accessible when you want to be able to get to it, being able, being able to do it like that kind of thing. So I thought that was quite... I, I thought it was a good idea, actually. I'm I'm not sure I'm planning on buying one, because I suspect, as a lot of people know, I do, I do a lot of programming. So in my mind, it actually just... To me, it was just like, ah, Scott, you should probably pull out a piece of code that does that again and have a play with it, which is what I'm going to do. But, you know what I mean? I think you're... You know what I mean? I think it's a cool solution. And it's actually pretty... It's actually quite cheap, isn't it? Well, it's quite a reasonable price. I'm saying, what, 20... I think it was pre-ordering pre around 20 euros or something like that. Now, and essentially you're buying a piece of software that does motion tracking and then two tokens, which essentially could be anything. But that's a very reasonable price for that kind of technology, I would suspect, for, for people. I think so. Yep, I agree. I think in terms of usage as well, it's, yeah, it's that, having that... Although multi-touch means you can control multiple parameters at once, if you've got a synthesizer that's got for example, it's got a bunch of sliders, then although you could move three of them at the same time, to get kind of interesting changes between them, having something where you can move in three dimensions as a performative thing, which you could then record or just for real time, I think that, yeah, I think the, yeah, the, the more this sinks in, the better it seems, actually. At first I was quite dismissive of it, like you say, but on the other hand, this is actually quite a cool thing. I, I would recommend this. I don't have an iThink, so it's not the kind of thing I'm going to rush out and buy myself, but I'd be interested to see what people think. Awesome stuff. Cool. There we go. So we're going to give that a... Let, let's give that a recommended. If you've got a if you've got an iOS device and it's compatible, you should get one. It's cool. I like it. I think it is. I think it's cool. You should get one. You know what I mean? Yeah. You should definitely get one. Um, talking about other things you might want to go get, I guess, or, or discounts or such, but um, Isotope are offering discounts on Ozone 5 and Ozone 5 Advanced uh, through to January 16th of this year, 2014. Um, if you don't know what Ozone is, it's a complete mastering system featuring a maximizer equalizer, multiband dynamics, multiband stereo imaging, post equalizer, multiband harmonic exciter, reverb, and divering. Woo! There we go. We thought by Ozone 5 when it came out. You can go find it if you. It's in our show notes, and there's loads, of, loads of stuff about it, isn't it? It's, and it is cool. I, I quite, I'm quite a big fan of um, Ozone actually, because I, how, how come I put it? I, I, I saw a demonstration of it once, and they, it was one of those very, very good, genuine demonstrations where somebody had kind of, here's Ozone, you know, they were like, here's Ozone running, and it's doing this, and here's us built, we built this entire DSP chain in in another environment which does exactly the same thing mm -hmm. and here is the comparison between the two of them and you could tell that the, the Ozone 5 version was significantly better because obviously having a single plugin and all the elements in there they were able to do a lot of stuff internally in there you know, yep. by, by doing that whereas by having lots of bits joined together you got a different sound out of it and actually I guess I should be more accurate with what I say here 
maybe better is a better is obviously a relative judgment, but there was definitely a difference between the integrated sound coming out of coming out of Ozone as opposed to the sound coming out of the DSP chain built of other elements. So maybe that's a you know I me. Mean. Actually, actually, I would like to rephrase that slightly, but yeah. But there you go. Anyway, it's on discount if you want to. Obviously, it's you know, Ozone's still a kind of substantial outlay, so it's definitely in that kind of specialist kind of category. But it's still cool, so it's worth recommending. So, Sam, I believe we've made it to the uh, headphone section of today's show. It is. Well, and you introduced it at the top of the show as jokes. It was looks like some semi-serious coverage last week. It's, I think I think you're the only one that's not taking this seriously, you know, Scott. I'm, I think there's more to headphones than you're, than you're giving credit here. Um, yes, we did resist talking about headphones much at the beginning of the show, despite the obvious link there, but I spotted early in the week... Um, on the Twitter feed, that Sennheiser again were um, advertising. I don't know if they knew or if they're just saying they exist, but it's a device-specific headset. I mean, we're extending the term headphones to include headsets here, but they, they their tweet said have if well, was asking people whether or not they had a Samsung Galaxy, and if so, would they be interested in the Sennheiser MM30G? A pair of headphones made specifically for a device because it's got the built-in microphone and little um, buttons for working with Android stuff I suppose I just that kind of okay yeah maybe it did tickle me as funny yeah okay it's funny no no well, you're, you're right I, I think yes I will confess that maybe I was a little bit you know a little, a little bit kind of naughty or uh, you know I, I was enjoying it. so let's have a serious conversation about this but I think we're going to revisit this again because I suspect that Adam will have thoughts on this as well but you know I think there's I wasn't fully prepared but I guess the place to start with this is probably iPhones it's probably um, iPod isn't it because when the iPods came out the kind of white earbud essentially what I'm wearing right now in my ears became popularized you know this this kind of thing here and the thing that most people forget about that is the fact that those headphones th those kind of iPod earbud headphones were substantially better quality than any other than most in-ear headphones at, at the time actually were just because of the fact that they'd rolled the price of the headphones into the price of the device mm -hmm. so as a consequence they were doing that because I don't know about you I'm, I'm trying to find some I'm, you can tell I'm not fully prepared but lying around somewhere in my in my I'm about to move mess is um you know it would be countless examples of one pound, two pound in-ear headphones. I, I'm sure most people will know the kind of thing I mean, and you know, I mean that there, there's no kind of cleverness to them at all. They're basically just tiny little kind of you know diaphragm grills. That, that's it sort of stuff, and that's what people listen to. And you know, music sounded terrible in those with those things, didn't it? And then iPhone, um, you know, they brought out the AirPods, and now this, now music suddenly sounds much better. And I I often think to myself, a lot of the early adoptions at iPods were probably based on the fact that they came with a good quality of headphones and therefore they sounded better. That, that was actually what was going on. It's like it's not that there was an, any inherent improvement to the device, the hardware device that you were actually buying. It was this peripheral headphone item that actually made the difference in terms of quality. And it makes sense to me that you could start to develop these things. So, so in these, um, you know, the Sennheisers, which one, what are they called? MM30Gs, aren't they? The, yeah. Um, I'm saying the significance of these is obviously the fact that you know they have the controls which allow you to work your kind of Samsung device with with them as well, which is a good, which is cool. I'm saying if you want to make calls and stuff, it's quite useful. But having it is possible to tailor those things. So what what's interesting about the Samsung devices in particular is that if you consider 
from kind of the um, S4s up, uh, Galaxy S4s, I guess Note 2s and such like that, um, what Samsung actually did was put headphone correction curves into into the uh, into the Android operating system. So you can actually you can actually go into the op and go into the Samsung interface and actually equalize and tailor the response of the um, of the headphones to to that. So you know Samsung obviously came to the conclusion that people wanted a better quality of listening and were willing to invest some personal time into tailoring what gets mm. put into their ears for the headphones. And I guess the the obvious extension is that you would have a pair of headphones. You, you would end up with this kind of product where you've got a pair of headphones which is, has some sort of tailored specialization towards a device. So essentially, this is what Beats have been doing. You know, I mean, Beats basically turned around and have built this idea that we do inc we do headphones which are a lot better than everybody else, and therefore they're worth spending a lot more money on. And that is essentially that that is the kind of Beats pitch which has been experiencing. And I don't know about you, but I see a lot of people wearing Beats headphones walking around the streets. It's well, maybe that brings us to the next thing because we we're going from device specific headphones to seasonal headphones. This is, um, yeah, you see people walking around, and the headphone is like it's like a fashion thing. So we're like well out of depth if we want to talk about that. I'm sure, but. <laughs> Yeah, we saw we saw someone. My partner and I saw someone walking down the street, and she said, "Is that a pair of headphones or a pair of earmuffs?" And we didn't think anything more of it. And then in the shop, I saw on sale they had these headphone earmuffy things, knitted headphones with fluffiness for wearing, keeping your head warm whilst listening to music in winter. Awesome. I looked closer. I thought it said knit sound, but it's actually kit sound who make all kinds of things, including headphones. And they have not only earmuff headphones, but also beanie. Headphones. This is a hat with built-in headphones. I had no idea these things existed until the last week or so. Awesome. Yeah, I I knew they did. Um, every pair I've ever tried on have sounded absolutely shocking. But then they tend to do. I'm saying if you go look at the price, you'll discover these are headphones for less than the price of a pair of headphones, including a hat or you know earmuff technology as well. It is. We 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 could talk more about headphones. I've come to this realization because it's quite an interesting topic, isn't it? Like I, Sam and I have been discussing some kind of silliness, which is likely to happen at some point in the future regarding headphones. And I was just kind of bringing a collection of my headphones together, like how many headphones do I actually have, and discovered that I have lots and lots and lots. And then also realized that I have them. I have lots of them because they all do a slightly different task. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I have headphones for this kind of thing. I have a pair of headphones for when I'm doing some proper work. I have a pair of headphones when I'm just kind of wandering around the house, lounging about. I have a pair of headphones when I'm riding on my bike. I have a pair of headphones for when I'm commuting. I have a pair of headphones for when I'm commuting with the level of sensitivity to other people on public transport. I have a pair of headphones with, with no sensitivity to other people on public transport but sound much better and I enjoy wearing much more. Yes, yeah, so, you know, I have these kind of things like this. and. Some some days I'll actually have maybe two or three pairs of headphones in my in my work bag because different circumstances across the day will demand a different pair of headphones of me. So, that's, you know, I'm sure there is some great depth of conversation to be had here. Um, yeah, I do like the um, I I would like to apologise to you, Sam, though, because um, I up until the significance of the 19, number 99 hit me, I was thinking that the title could the title of this show could indeed have been audio headwear. But um, yeah. Perhaps we'll hold that back for a later show, <laughs> for 101 or something. 
<laughs> maybe I don't. It's a it's a good term though. Like I'd never like let's say I I I use that term for the first time while posting about the earmuffs and Sennheiser things um, together. Audio headwear. I did a search for that in quotes and it took me to eBay essentially. There's about a handful of um handful of beanie hats with headphones in under the term audio headwear. I look at um shall we. Actually, I could talk. I'm actually wearing um, a headset today, which is um, unusual. I've got a different tech setup than usual. Should we talk about that now, or should we save that for 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 the future? Let, let's save that for the uh, headphone special. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Um, right. So, starting later on this uh, next week, or in ten days' time, yes, in ten days' time, um, Nam Nam starts in uh, Anaheim, California, running January 23rd to 26th. So, if you're in that part of the world, um, obviously, you're probably Planning on checking it out anyway. We don't tend to. We've been to the... trade shows, haven't we, Sam? But we don't tend to go to trade shows just because we. Well, it'd be a lot of effort to go there to wander around a busy room getting shown essentially lots of things where it's. And yeah, you know. Now it's a peculiar. Way. Go on. So I was going to say, you know what the most? Because we went to we went to what the audio show, didn't we? The audio tech show. No, the music production show. Sorry. Yep. We went to the music production show, and the thing that I find really hard is. I'm, I'm inherently quite cynical and quite sarcastic, and people on you know obviously when you meet somebody for the first time on a booth, they don't know that's what you're like, so they don't understand that you're not being cynical and sarcastic because you're you know because you're being negative. It's just that's my natural response. Is when somebody says, "Oh, we've got this new product and it does this," then my natural response is to cite the you know seven pri pieces of prior art and ask them how that actually how their thing is actually better than any of the previous things that have existed. You know I mean? That, that's how I respond to those things, because that's actually what I'm interested in, you know? It's like, I'm not interested in the kind of marketing blurb which says, if people don't know what's going on, then they won't know this isn't, you know? But, so I find it hard, I find it exhausting going to those things for, certainly for kind of interview press work like this, you know? Just because I kind of rub people the wrong way sometimes. It's, it's remarkable to hear that, I know. <laughs> but no, anyway. <laughs> Now. Well, yeah. Well, as I don't know, if we really wanted to go this and we were to, to Nam and we were in the area, we might be able to play it somehow. But it is actually a proper trade trade show. It's not they don't have an open public viewing for this particular one. I think, whereas um, the Music Mesa, um, which happens later in the year, um, does have a public open day kind of go along and look at the products. This, whereas Nam is very focused on makers and buyers and sellers of. Of the product at the trade level, so although the information, you know, there'll be lots of new product releases timed with this, I'm sure, but yeah, they'll be filtered through rather than being first-hand for the general public. Well, anyway, that's looking forward to that all becoming on the horizon, I'm sure. And um, wish that's the end of the news. That's it for the week. There we go. Is it the news? Should we get into the plunder then? Yeah, no other this week. No plunder. Other. Straight to plunder. So Sonic State have a great article, which is a brief history of music technology, discussing how things have changed over time. Um, if you know, if you've been in the industry for a while, then it would probably just remind you of kind of oddities, which is nice to smile about. If you're new to the industry, then I keep telling people all the time that you really need to know the history. If you don't understand the history of music production, then things just—it's a real disadvantage. I mean. That, that, that's how I, I don't know how you feel about that, Sam, but that, that's always what I say to people. If you, if you don't understand the history of the industry, then you, you know, you won't understand why things are called buses, and you won't understand why we refer to tape so often, and these 
these kind of things, and the significance of the number eight, why everything is in eights and stuff like this. It's, I mean, you need to know. You need to know this sort of stuff. So history is really important. Um, as a consequence, there's a great video by AES have released um, and put a great YouTube video up this week, which is about being a recording engineer, which was based on a working day of Bill Bruckner. Um, in the what I would guess was the 1970s. I didn't spot the production day on it, but it's a video, and he just kind of—it's an introduction to what he does. It was as a kind of um, people who work with science kind of, uh, kind of series sort of thing. But it, but it's really interesting. You know, it, it's interesting from a working practice because he talks about the you know, he, he talks about the dubbing room, and the dubbing room is actually a large physical room full of big tape machines with dedicated staff who whose job it is is to load up tape into the tape machines and you know these kind of things and it makes you you know it was quite interesting it, it's quite worth it's worth a look because you realize how labor intensive complicated and awkward doing things was at that time whereas nowadays we just don't you know if you were wanting to combine 10 pieces of audio onto one onto one track you would you know just open any door that you felt like load them in mix them down it would take you about 30 seconds you know what I mean? Essentially, to do that job, whereas at that point it required an army of people and a day. So it's kind of interesting to remind us of those kind of things like that. And there's also lots of uh, there's a fair light in the background and lots and lots of random hardware, which is always you know it's always nice to watch it a second time and pick out the hardware in the background. So, <laughs> anyway, you can find the link to that video up on um up on our website at theaudiopodcast.co.uk/slash/show/slash/ninety-nine. So sticking with the kind of theoretical side of um, music production and stuff, but on a more contemporary theme, remixtheory.net um, exists as a resource of research on remix. It's cool, yeah. Um, it's in support of Edward Navis's book, uh, Remix Theory, The Aesthetics of Sampling. And uh, as I actually mentioned, if nothing else, it's worth checking it out because they have a massive relevant site list. It must be about 100 websites <laughs> which are all about audio production. So, you know what I mean? If nothing else, go check that site out and go down their their site because you're almost certainly going to find a website that you probably haven't seen yet, and you know it might be the kind of coverage or the kind of content that you're interested in. That's kind of cool. Um, also, uh, while we're talking about sampling, I guess, or kind of production, um, something I found this week through something else, but um, Nielsen actually have a publicly accessible top ten list, which will tell you what the most popular U.S. single is, the most listened to radio song, or the number one ra ringtone. And you can just go to go to the go to the right web page, and it's just there. I put those things. So there you go. All right, good. Number one on what metrics? I wonder. But hey, whatever. Um, shall we just go? Shall I go check right now? I'll go check right now while you uh, do the do the next one. Oh, okay. But this is one. I, okay. Um, <laughs> hang on. NME 2014 predictions. Series of predictions from NME about what will music will sound like in 2014. Really, um, this is news to me. I'm going to click on it, see what happens. It's loading a little bit faster than um, that remix theory page did, which is very heavy. Number one single right now is Pitbull featuring Kesha. There you go. Number one ringtone, Lord by the Royals. Uh, top ten digitally downloaded songs. Again, the same. How could it not be? Most listened to radio song this week, Eminem featuring Rihanna. Yeah, monster, monster. There you go. <laughs> when they say most listened to, they so mean most played. No, but well, had yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That wasn't so interesting, was it? I'm sorry. Anyway, well, maybe it wasn't interesting. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it wasn't. <laughs> so yeah, and enemy. Um, this is their 2014 predictions as to what music is going to sound like next year, or oh, this year actually, as we're now in 2014. Um, you know, 
but it was kind of, well, it's what they reckon it's going to sound like. Do you want to go for a Seven of Dark, Sam? You got any uh, genre predictions for 2014? Um, no, this is the first time I've looked at NME for about five years. Um, Fair enough. You know, I'm kind of enjoying it. Familiar faces down the side, like, like, Ignoring the story altogether and look at the sidebar here. Um, there's popular this week in the news, Nirvana is there at number one. Um. <laughs> I think next year, next year 2014, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here because in this situation it's good to go crazy, so I'd encourage you to come back with something crazy in a minute here. I'm going to suggest to you that 2014 will be the year where we hear the combination of Mumford and & Sons and Techno. <laughs> So it's going to be some sort of folk techno thing. Um, it's going to be known as folkno, is is how it's going to be referred to, and it's going to see an emergence from. Let's think of somewhere. Maybe maybe Glasgow actually. Let's have some Scottish. We'll have a Scottish influence to it. Here. It's going to be the. Uh, that's where it's going to come from. So I'm I'm predicting that folkno will come from Glasgow in 2014. Sam. I think. Levels of outrageousness. Um. I think that the radio will stop playing the actual pop tunes and start playing the Minecraft parodies of them, which are usually better. A fantastic prediction. We should we should bet we should put these in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love it. I love it. And then we can come back next year. We should mark it. And so next year we can come back and discuss how successful our predictions were. Fantastic. With that, I think we've actually made it to the end of the plunder, which consequently we've made it to the end of the show. Oh, there we go. So, this was our show 99 of the audio podcast. Not quite a century. It was recorded, what's today's date? The 13th of January 2014. Um, you can get find us uh, at theaudiopodcast.co.uk slash show slash 99. Send us email if you want to, show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Twitter at theaudiopodcast. We're on Google+, Plus. we're on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Remember, if you want, if you don't like it, then tell us. If you don't like it, if you love it, tell us that you like it. That's fine as well. We don't really mind. If you want to subscribe to us, you can subscribe to us in iTunes. You can subscribe to us on YouTube. Um, also, the quick link to get to us is feedburner.com slash theaudiopodcast, which will work in everything. So no matter what device you're on, go to there, and it will generate you something that you can subscribe to. That's cool. Subscribing is the best way because we're a bit erratic with show recordings, but you'll get it as soon as it arrives, which is pretty quick. Well, pretty quick after the recording. So if you can't listen live, that's the quickest way to get to it is through the feed, which is awesome stuff. Cool. Well, I've been Scott Hewitt. I've had it's been another fun show for me, and it's been a pleasure as always, Sam. Yep, I'm Samuel Freeman, and we'll be back next time <laughs> with Show 100 <laughs> on the Real Podcast. Bye. Bye.